Open your Bibles, please, to Deuteronomy chapter 8. Deuteronomy chapter 8. Anybody need a Bible? Raise your hand and one of our ushers will bring you a Bible. Nate, you love Jesus. I love your hat, man. Yeah, praise the Lord. I love that. That's great. Well, we've been traveling with Moses and uh, the Lord's been bringing us close. We're getting very close uh, uh, to where they're going to be entering this promised land as they're looking at uh, Jericho. They can probably see Rahab's house, you know, waving a little bit of the way. They're close enough, right? They're stones throw. Um, But again, before they um, go in, Moses is continuing to... uh, share all of the things that God has showed him, all of the precious jewels that have been provided, all those nuggets of wisdom and love, commandments and statutes. And, um, you know, it's interesting as we read in chapter eight and chapter nine tonight, um, specifically chapter eight, one of the things that that really captured my attention and I, is it's, it's almost a repeat of the introduction of chapter four. He says the same thing over again here. He says, you know, he says, if, if, if you, every commandment I command you to say, you must carefully observe it that you may live. Once again, making sure. And then he's going to exhort them to remember. And as he's doing it here, it, it's not just a remembrance of, I don't know about you, but the things I want to remember aren't the things I remember. The things I don't want to remember often are the things I end up remembering. And what's so precious about God is he tells them, look, you're going to go into this beautiful promised land that I've prepared for you. You know, your whole lives are culminating to this place, this journey. And I swore to your fathers. So it will be, and it's not because there's anything great about you, right? Talk about a, 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 one of those really great conversations like, Oh God, thanks. Thank you again for confirming that it, it's not about me. But as, as he as they get ready to go into this, the other thing he says is, is I want you to remember that the Lord, your God led you. Now, this idea of remembering isn't just like, a, you know, the idea of recalling, but what he's going to be telling them is don't set aside God. Remember, because if you don't remember whether it's intentional or non-intentional, there could be a tendency to where God gets set aside. He gets put on the back burner. You know, you're going to go into this land. Things are going to go well for you. You're going to have blessings upon blessings. And you might get comfortable and maybe your prayer life isn't going to be as fervent and as passionate and desirable as as when you first got saved or when you were in the midst of that fiery trial where every moment and every breath was about speaking and asking God for help and asking him to join you in the trial and to bring you through that trial. It's like you're never closer to God when you go through those things because you're just on your knees and you're praying and you're all in. And then the trial, you know, God brings you through it and things start going really well. And where's that fervency of prayer? Where's that desire of heart of relationship? And then in chapter nine, he's going to go through and he says, and and I want you to remember why this is important. I'm going to, I'm going to tell you children. That's what he's going to say. I'm going to tell you why, what your parents, why it was important for them, why, why it was important since I've created the earth. If he was to say it that way, because at the end of the day, what you don't realize is this rebellion, this carnality, it's, it's almost like it's baked in you. And you just, you just keep going after it like a dog returning to your vomit. 
And unless you change your ways, unless you acknowledge God, unless you begin to live for him, you will repeat the same mistakes. I mean, and so he goes through and he tells us about the rebellion. And he goes in three different places, four different places, actually, right? He goes, Kaddish Barnea, he'll, he'll talk when he's in Sinai. He'll talk about the different areas that they've gone through. And he's pointing them out to, to not to rebuke them, but to encourage them to say, hey, look, if it can happen to them, it can happen to you and I. And that's what Hebrews, well, 1 Corinthians 10 actually tells us, that all of these things were an example for you and I for today. That we don't read these just as historical accounts, which they are, but they're very matter of fact and for us today that we don't repeat these same mistakes as God brings us through that journey he's prepared for each and every one of us. Amen. Let's bow our heads and pray. Father, we thank you for your holy word. There is nothing like it, Lord. And thank you for your commandments, your statutes. But above all those things, Lord, thank you for your love. Thank you that as we, Lord, have been tarrying and working and, and all things that have been going on this week, as we find ourselves here in midweek, Lord, our midweek study, Lord, we, we want to get the right perspective. We want to, Lord, we want to keep going. It's not how we begin the race, Lord. You tell us it's how we finish it. We want to finish strong. And so, God, I pray that you will renew hearts and minds here this evening. And you will do an amazing work in us. God, I pray that you will draw out the things particularly that are important to each person here that they, they need to hear. Lord, none of us are going through the motions. We desperately need you. And Lord, we want that fire lit in us again. We know it's not through our comfort that we grow or stretched. It's through those difficult times we're stretched. It's through those times we, we realize just how dependent we are on you, God how much we need you. Lord, thank you for your long-suffering. Thank you for your love and mercy and grace. And thank you for preserving this holy word that we, Lord, could learn your ways to cast our ways aside. We pray and we ask this in your power, Lord, through your spirit and your love. Jesus Christ and all God's people prayed. Amen. Chapter 8, verse 1. Every commandment which I command you today, you must be careful to observe. Again, the pattern of our learning. We watch, we see, we listen. We observe that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land of which the Lord swore to your fathers. And you shall remember. And this idea of remembering is, you know, not to pet put God or set God aside. You shall remember that the Lord your God led you all the way these 40 years in the wilderness. Why? To humble you, to test you, to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. Is it any different today? Do we often go through those wilderness wanderings, those journeys, those times where we, we feel, Lord God, are you with us? Can you hear us? Are we alone? Are we in a dry and barren land where there is no water? Only to find out that God was carrying us, but allowing us to see our own hearts, allowing us to know what's kicking around in our minds to know where our consciences are, to know why we believe what we believe. 
to test us in these matters of faith because he knows it's a, a heart. What, is, what do trials expose? Trials expose truth. He is the way, the truth, and the life. It's Holy Spirit led. I, I want you to think about with, when Jesus was baptized, he was led out by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness to be tested. That he too would know, right? That he would be humbled. That is, his, he would be tested and he would know whether he kept the commandments. And certainly he did every one of them perfectly. And he did that as an example for you and I of what it looks to live after the father and his will. So he humbled you and he allowed you to hunger and he fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know that he might make you know that man shall not live by bread alone, but by, but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. How fitting is this? The very scripture Jesus himself quoted during his trial and testing. Remember, Jesus quoted from the book of Deuteronomy more than any other book in scripture. I don't want to say it was his favorite book because I believe all of his word is his favorite. But it certainly is the book he most quoted. And he came back here in the middle of that trial. God bless you. In the middle of that trial, he came back and he pointed out the error and the folly of Satan. That Satan was so worried about telling Jesus, well, you're hungry. You haven't eaten. You haven't drank. You, 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 sorry, you drank, but you didn't eat, I meant to say. You, 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 you've been fasting like this for days. Certainly you're hungry. And, and he's trying to apply to what? He's, he's trying to apply or appeal, better put, to his physical nature, the nature, that nature of humanity that requires food. Right? There's a supernatural aspect that our spirits are filled and fed that way. But we still have the limitation of needing food, don't we? We still have a frame that's in the natural, not the supernatural. And that frame needs constant attention, whether it's food, clothing, warmth, comfort, you know, different things like that. And Jesus doesn't turn around and focus on the natural frame. That's what Satan was interested in. He was interested in the comforts of life and the, and the things of life. Jesus, feed the natural. Jesus, you need to feed the natural because you focus on the natural, Jesus. I know I'll distract you from the supernatural, the resurrection. Just focus on this, Jesus. But Jesus knew better. He's God. He turned around and says, no, man does not live by bread. Man doesn't live by the natural. No, he lives by the supernatural, by every word that proceeds forth from the mouth of God. That is where your spiritual food is. That's where your real food is too. Not to say we can't. I mean, right? Somebody I once heard say, I can't, I can't eat, you know, I, the most I can go is three to five days without eating. No, you can fast for 40 days. My pastor used to fa fast for 40 days. He, he was going to do something. He was going to buy a building or something, something major. He would go away for 40 and he'd get up in the mountains. He'd fast. The Lord would show him and he'd come back. You, you can, it can absolutely do it. Moses, 80 days. 
He did it twice. And not only for food, but he fasted from water, beverage. You know, you know I've heard people, oh, it's, I fasted from water, you know, seven days and I was fine. How'd you do that? You know, well, I, I drank Kool-Aid or, you know, I drank something else, right? Pepper. No, no. Water's in everything. Water's even in our food, right? We, we, we understand that. It, that's supernatural. We'll read about that in a little bit in chapter nine. That's supernatural. No one can live more than three to seven days without water. You will die because the natural frame will die. But the supernatural of what God did so much so as we'll read that in chapter nine. What's so amazing about that. He spent so much time with God in the glory of God that he came down and his frame looked different. His face, he was covered. Because it almost looked like his skull or his face could see through that way. Because of the glory had penetrated him. So much of the supernatural penetrated the natural that the natural began to change. And couldn't look the same. He says, I fed you this manna, this angel's food that you did not know, nor, nor did your fathers know that he might... <laughs> He might make you know, he might allow you during those wilderness wanderings, during those trials and difficulties, that you would be humbled, that you would realize where your strength is from. It's from the Lord, the maker of heavens and earth, God. He allows it. Why does he allow those things? So that we might receive the dependability that we should have on God all along and not on our own self, not on our own ability. You're never more free than when you come to that conclusion that, Lord, it's all you. It's always been you. you you've, you've fed me. You've clothed me. You've taken care of me. You've provided for me. You've allowed me to have a job that I might, you know, work. What a gift working is. The idea of working, it's a gift to work with our hands and to work with our minds. That's a privilege. This gift of work that God allows. And then he's going to go in and talk a little bit about uh, the clothing. And, and he's going he's gonna to go into some of the supernatural here. He's going to, you know, I, I, a couple of weeks back, I made the joke, you know, they didn't have sketchers, they had stretcher. You, you, you look at these shoes. I want you to think about it. Have you known anybody, I mean, to be able to get 40 years on a pair of shoes like that every day, constantly traveling and walking like that? Young people, you can't get more than six months. These people were growing up in the wilderness and it's as though supernaturally as their feet were going while they did not swell, but as their feet were going, what happened? Their shoes and their clothing just happened to grow with them. You can't explain that, but that's the length of which God will go that even when he allows you to see the measure of your heart and to test you in that he will always guide and provide for you during that. He doesn't bring you to that place to then leave you or abandon you. God doesn't know how to do that. He brings you there. He shows you. And then he provides for you. Even when you don't realize he's been providing all along. And it's always what you need. It's not always what you want, but it's always what you need. And he, and he knows that. Your garments did not wear out on you, nor did the foot swell these 40 years. You should know in your heart that as a man chastens his son, so the Lord your God changes, chastens you. This is a powerful passage. For whom the Lord loves, he corrects. Turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 6. We get a, a further explanation of this. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 6. 
um, the discipline of God, but, but it, it actually produces more than what I think the average human would think in the natural, as we've been talking about. It, it produces more in, than what we would think. It, it actually yields a peaceable fruit, we're going to be told. Look at chapter 12. Let's look at um, verse 3 here. Chapter 12, verse 3 in, in Hebrews. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. You have not yet registered or resisted, excuse me, pardon me, to bloodshed, striving against sin, and you have forgotten the exhortation which speak to you as the sons. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives, right? Proverbs chapter 3, verses 11 and 12 we see here. If you endure chastening, what's that mean? If you can handle it? No. If you endure it, if you allow it, if you succumb to it to realize that it's going to produce something, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening of which all have become partakers, notice that circle that in your Bibles, all have become partakers all sons and daughters of this correction of God from God. We never arrive. We never arrive. It's, it, it's not you. Okay. I, I want to tell you, it's not you tonight. You're, if you're sitting there going, man, I'm blowing it and I keep blowing it. Well, welcome to the ministry. Welcome to the family of God, right? Nobody here's arrived. And what does he say here? He, he goes on to say something that I think is very convicting in verse eight. He says, but if you're without chastening, which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. Uh, maybe another way of saying it today. If you don't appreciate the battle, maybe you're not in the battle. If you haven't thought or counted the cost on a daily basis, maybe you and God, maybe, maybe uh, need to have a, a conversation, a time of prayer. Maybe an examination of heart. You know, it's, it's very common today, you know, with a lot of the damage of the, the faith and prosperity gospel, a lot of damage that's done. You know, people think that if their lives aren't going perfectly and, you know, there's sickness or there's, um, you know, uh, economic challenges or there's things like that, they think, you know, oh, well, then maybe I didn't have faith or maybe, maybe, um, maybe God's not blessing me because of something I've done. Well, well, maybe that's true. Maybe there is a sin issue. But if there's not a sin issue... God never promised to make any one of us naturally rich. He did promise to make us all spiritually rich. And we are. Your spiritual pedigree is everything. You are sons and daughters of the living God. Who you are. Oh, man. When we get to heaven, it's going to become so apparent when you're standing in the vastness of the remnant of God as we all stand in heaven and we look around us at the biggest family reunion ever. And at that moment, we are going to realize just how special God's love was for each and every one of us and how he looked at us and he saw his son 
in each and every one of us. He's so madly in love with you all. Man, you guys are the apple of his eye. He loves you. He thinks constantly about you. He knows every hair on your head. He put together your DNA. He knows all of your fingerprints and finds great pleasure in just watching you and loving you and holding you and correcting you and allowing you to go through trial and allow you to go through difficult so that as you're broken down, you're rebuilt into this beautiful vessel of the living God to serve him with purpose and pleasure. And I know, look, I'm not ignorant to the fact that when we're going through it, it doesn't feel good, right? It's never going to end. It's always worse. Look, I, <laughs> you all have trials. My trials are worse, right? That, that's what we all say, right? My trials are worse than your trials. Your trials are worse than my trials. The reality is God gives us each a unique perspective on the temptation that we have perfectly fit to stretch us to that point where our hearts can be examined in truth. That's what we just read. And then he corrects us and just doesn't let us wander aimlessly as though he's an absentee parent and doesn't care. No, what's he come back and do? He comes back and so gently and lovingly, it doesn't always feel that way at the moment, but he gently and like, okay, okay, son, okay, daughter. And he just guides us back onto that narrow path. He gets us right. Okay, don't depend on yourself. Don't trust on your bank account. Don't trust on what you can see, touch, smell, feel. Don't trust any of that. Trust me. And then we get that moment. You know what I'm talking about? And that moment in the trial where you finally succumb and your hands open up and you're surrendered and you're... <sighs> that exhale. You know what I'm talking about? You all know what I'm talking about. That exhale, that moment of... <sighs> and right at that moment, you are never closer to Christ. When you can feel that it comes over your body and you know you're walking into the promised land. You're so close. We in this time, the time such as this, we are so close to the rapture. Keep your heads up. Your redemption draws nigh. We are that close. It's it, it, either revival's coming right now or the rapture's coming. It's going to be one or the other. God's doing something, He's moving. People are seeking truth. People are getting hungry in spite of their lack of attention or the ability to focus, right? You know what I'm talking about? Squirrel, right? Five, uh, we, 30 seconds, squirrel, squirrel. You know, we're being conditioned. Don't just say it's your young people, your children. It's you too. It's me, right? But look what he says. Furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the father of spirits and live for they indeed for a few days chastened us and seemed best to them. But he for our profit that we may be partakers of his holiness. The whole point is he's trying to make us holy like him. Not like a man or a woman when they would chasten us here on earth where it might suit a need. No, God's ways are not like that. His judgment is perfect and his correction is beautiful because it's actually making us more holy. 
Now, not chastening seems to be joyful for the present. Everybody in here should be like, amen, right? That's right. But painful. Nevertheless, afterwards, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who've been trained by it. Have you been trained by correction from God? Be grateful. He's making you holier. He's refining you. It's wonderful. It's when we got the right perspective, we begin to praise God with the wrong perspective. We think it's maniacal, right? It's all perspective. The the helmet of salvation, Ephesians six, you need to put it on. If you don't put on that helmet of salvation, what's a helmet guard or gird? It girds your mind. Without the helmet of salvation, who knows where we start thinking, right? The carnality in our flesh begins to say, no, this is not good for us. This doesn't feel good. <laughs> but it's very good. It's the exact opposite of what we think. Look, look here for, with, with me. You can turn back to uh, Deuteronomy. Look at verse six. Therefore, you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God to walk in his ways and fear him. He says, because you know that God loves you and that God's not going to leave you nor forsake you because you know God has your very best at heart. Even when it doesn't feel good, even when it feels uh, as though it's not a moment of joy, but it's painful as we just read in Hebrews. He says, understand, knowing all that, that's the reason you must keep his commandments because his commandments are good for you. And it's not just keeping them as far as hearing them, but he says, no, you need to walk in his ways. You need to actually be doers of this and you need to fear him. And what is this talking about? It's talking about reverential fear. We've lost that in our country. There was a time where our forefathers and the foundation of this country was based on a reverence or a fear, a healthy fear for God. People wouldn't do things. Marriage, uh, divorce wasn't where it is today because people knew they would come against God's, you know, judgment or displeasure by stepping out of the will of God. And that meant more to them to be corrected by that than to disappoint, you know, God than, than, you know, a spouse or somebody else like that. They wanted that and had that reverential respect and love for God. And it meant the most to them. And I'll tell you what happens when a country stops having a reverential fear for God. The United States of America. Go look at Europe. Go study Britain. Look at it. It doesn't have to be. If we just turn to God, if we just ask him, invite him back into our schools. Invite them into our churches. How about that? Invite them everywhere. He's a gentleman. He'll never force himself. (laughs) That's the problem. Love God, love others. You see, when you love God and you're right vertically, the horizontal takes care of itself. And we've already read in Exodus, when we don't love God or people on the horizontal, we're sinning against God in the vertical. For the Lord, your God, I love that, your God, 
not just the definite article of the God, your God, is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks of water, of fountains and springs, the flow of the valleys and the hills. What is he saying? He, he's describing He's describing how plentiful this land is. The water, the plant. Because in those days, again, without water, what would happen? You would die, right? Without water, you would die that way. Let's take a moment to pray. Father, we just want to, so as we, as we look here, you know, he's talking about the abundance, this water, this need, and how he's going to provide it, all the necessary things. A land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive oil and honey. Man, I'm Italian. I love olive oil, right? I could drink the stuff, you know? I mean, I really, I could. I just love it. Can never have enough olive oil. Good olive oil from Italy. You know, you get it over. I, I, I'm an olive oil snob. I'll tell you right now. You know, look, if I come to your house, I'll eat whatever olive oil you prepare. But, but I'm telling you, at my house, oh, I bring out the, when, you know, you all come over, I'll bring out the regular olive oil. I'm just going to tell you. But then you leave and I go up on the shelf and I get out the good stuff and I bring it down. I get a little mozzarella, a little bread, a little salt. Ah, oh. oh, it's good. So, so good. With the right bread. With the right bread, right? You got to have the right bread. It's got to be crust. Anyway, anyway, I'm getting off time. But the point is, you begin to think about this, right? If you, you think Italian olive oil is good, and it's very good. Brothers and sisters that have gone over to Israel, I think a Pastor Tony, he goes over there every year a couple times. He takes the teens or the kids over there. He comes back. He says it gets all in his beard, you know, as he's eating the falafel and the oil's running down. He's like, he leaves it in there. He gets home. He's like, Whoop. He's like I got an extra taste. And I'm like... Can I have some? No, I mean, no. I mean, I'm, I'm like, wow, this is awesome. But he describes, he says, you think Italian olive oil is good? He's like, olive oil in Jerusalem? Oh, he says, man, it is good. So when we read about it in the Bible, when it's talking about a land of olive I want you to have a picture now, not a Pastor Tony licking his beard, but I want you to have a picture of olive oil coming and just running down, man, just running down, kind of like the Holy Spirit, the oil that would cover us, you know, but just running down. Just lapping it up, right? Oh, you guys hungry? I'm hungry again. I think I'm out of olive oil too, actually. You laugh. Tammy went out for the church office just, I think it was a couple weeks ago. And she's like, hey, pastor. And she pulls up the bottle. She's like, olive oil. And I'm like, you know, I just started that Weight Watchers. Why are you doing that to me? We have fun. A land in which you will eat bread, see, without scarcity, in which you will lack nothing. A land whose stones and are iron in, and out of the hills you can dig copper. I mean, if you looked at Israel, just for the natural resources there, it's amazing. The minerals, the metals they have. You know, they're digging now and they go over and they keep excavating. They're finding more and more oil. And I'm not talking about the olive oil now. They're finding more and more oil. Pretty soon, they're going to be so independent. I mean, really, they could be now. But why do you think Putin's paying so much attention? You know, we got our prophecy conference coming up again. And every year when we go through the prophecy conference, we begin to talk about how Israel's finding more and more of these natural resources. And we see Gog and Magog, right? We begin to see all of a sudden Putin or, or what looks to be a type like that getting more interested, more invested. Then we see Turkey wanting to, you know, set up kind of land in that area and border why because they want they know that the OPEC and everything running through that area 
They know how rich it is, how rich that land of Jerusalem. They never thought. Do you know after 500 AD, 600, it was desolate. Nobody wanted it. And now it is some of the most prime real estate on the entire earth in Jerusalem. It's amazing. It's all this oil and all these minerals. When you have eaten and are full, then you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land which he has given you. You know, I, I, I think of the, the Berkat Hamazan. Some of you know what that is, the Berkat Hamazan. That's where um, Jews, when they go to eat, they will eat first and then they pray over the food afterwards. It's interesting that it's written that way here, actually, when you read it. When you've eaten and are full, then you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land which he's given you. And that's that's what the, the Brakat uh, Amazon or Amazon does is it's of thanksgiving. They wouldn't say that they're necessarily like, like, like a Christian may bless the food that way. For them, it's more of a, a, a prayer of thanksgiving. They have a short version of it and they have a very long version of it. That they, that they will pray and um, still done by very many Jews today. Very, very common. But it is interesting that that is the way that this is laid out here. His judgments and his statutes, which I command you today, right? He, what's, I skipped a little bit, but there's a reason for that. Because it keeps coming back to these judgments and statutes. It keeps coming back to obeying God, which is what we saw in chapter 8, verse 1. Observe, right, that you may live. And what are you observing? Every commandment in the way God has called us to behave, Right? And, and so he keeps drawing our attention to the things we're doing. What are the things we're engaged in? How are we living our lives? It matters. It really matters to God. Beware that you do not forget. Again, put God to the side because things are good, right? Because you're going to go into this beautiful promised land where everything is beautiful and wonderful and you're blessed that way. Don't forget God. He knows the carnality of man and woman, doesn't he? He knows my heart. He knows when everything is going so great that there's a tendency that I do what? Oh, Lord, thank you. But then I begin to, you know, my mind becomes, oh, you know, do this, do that. (laughs) He's so good when he humbles me. You know, uh, for me, sometimes it's physical. I, I notice when I get going really fast and the Lord, and, and I'm not, maybe I'm, 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 of course, every, I mean, I can open my word of God all the time and, and I, and Jesus always meets me there. I, I, I pretty much can't read the Bible without <laughs> weeping. I, I just, I'm either really, I'm, I'm laughing sometimes with the Lord or I'm weeping because I'm so grateful. I, I can't think of a time where I really don't have that experience. And, um, it, what, what amazes me is when, when, I, when I go, I can have that devotional time, but then I can get so busy because, you know, ministry and, and everything like you guys, you know, we all get so busy that we, we go so fast that we don't stop to have that check-in with the Lord, that continuous prayer, that, that you know, time of fasting, that time of obedience and walk, just real relationship. And when that begins to, to sour, as I like to call it, when I, when, you know, sometimes I, my back will go out or sometimes I'll, I'll have a headache or a migraine or some, something will kick up and I, I'm suffering. And I, and I, I, oh boy, then at that point, he's 24 seven constant attention on the Lord, isn't it? 
God, if, you know, please, Lord, would you take this way? You know, I'm just being real with you. You know, it happens to all of us, right? And, and the desire is, I, as I'm getting older, I keep praying more and more. God, let it not be any other reason than a matter of the heart that I just want to be intimate and spend time with you. Let it not take that, <laughs> that um, thorn in my flesh to get my attention, to keep me humble. Let it be a willing and desired heart. That, that just constantly uh, wants to bathe in his presence and wants to bathe with him, just be with him and talk to him and listen to him. He speaks to me. He speaks to you, doesn't he? Every time you open the word of God, he speaks to you. And it's powerful. And it's, it's man, it, it changes everything, you know? It's no longer a matter of what we think or our opinion. He says, be careful because when things are going good, make sure you don't forget or, or set God aside, right? The Lord, your God, by not keeping his commandments, his judgments and his statutes, which I command you today, because when things are going good, we, we, we think it's okay. We can handle a little bit of something. You know, I just have a couple more drinks. What's the big thing? Things are going good. I got it under wraps. I'm just going to smoke a little weed. It's all right. It's, it's okay. What's it going to do? You know what it's going to do? It's going to humble you and put you right back. And the dogs vomit. It's going to put you right back in Egypt again. Isn't it remarkable? Humanity, when you think about it, God delivers Israel from Egypt. They were begging to get out of there. Lord, we're slaves. We're building these bricks. They're not giving us straw. I mean, the whole thing, you know, the account. And then what ends up happening? We want to go back. It's so much better there. We know we're going to get, you know, the leftovers, the scraps, we're going to be treated like slaves, half humans. And, you know, it's it, but it's better there. What? Better than God's very best? No, it's uncomfortable. It hurts because he's refining us. He's changing us and, and it doesn't feel comfortable. It doesn't feel good. And we need his commandments and statutes. Less when you have eaten and are full and have been and have built these beautiful houses and dwell in them. And when your herds and your flocks multiply and your silver and your gold are multiplied and all that you have is multiplied. When your heart is lifted up and you forget the Lord, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt for the house of bondage from the house of bondage. He, he says it right there. He, uh, thank you, God, for being real. Thank you for being so transparent and real because that's exactly what happens to us. We forget. We set God aside when things are going well. Who led you through the great and terrible wilderness. You know, you know, this is also a good passage to remember that, you know, sometimes people say, well, if I could just see God's miracles, if I could have been there when God parted the Red Sea or, or when, you know, Moses struck the rock and the water came forward or, you know, if I could have seen just even the fiery serpent and the, the being able to look up at it and see ever the snakes and everybody spared their lives. Well, then I'd believe. No, you wouldn't. You'd be just like the apostles and the disciples. You'd be just like the children of Israel. Because in that moment, you might have a convicting heart. But then moments later, you would find you know, uh, the carnality would get comfortable. And next thing you know, you'd be, well, you know, that's yeah, I blew it. You know, it's okay. You know, it, it, it strikes me because it's not an understanding issue. 
It's not a matter of understanding. It's a matter of obeying. It's an obedience issue. And again, it comes back to who that reverence of God is God revered more than anything else in your life. If he is, you will obey God because you'll put him in a place of esteem higher than anything else. It's when we put him in a different place that he doesn't belong, which is called idolatry, by the way. That's when those sins and that's when temptation overtakes us. And that's when our wills succumb to those things that, that happen. And it just, how'd that happen? I don't know. It just, it just happened. So you're telling me you didn't pick up the dope. It just, it just happened. Yeah, man. I was just, you know, the calf. It just, I was, I was just there in the heat and the fire and where's Moses, you know, and he's gone for like 40 days and, you know, I don't know, he's gone forever. And, uh, and yeah, I just, Moses, I took the fire and the thing and out came this calf. I don't know where it came from. Meanwhile, it's got Aaron's fingerprints on it. Like he made a calf with his hands. He put it in the fire. You don't think he could look at it? It's not like he sanded it down. You don't think he, it's his fingerprints. He probably, he probably had his initials on it, Aaron. You know what I mean? Like, like he's like, I don't know. We laugh about it. But the reality is, how true is that for you and I today? No, we're not walking around making calves. But we just talked about it on Sunday with, you know, and we talked about it last Wednesday. What idol's waiting for you at home? You know, it's, it's so real. And until we come to that point of understanding that, we'll make excuse after excuse. What we really need to do is ask God to help us in our unbelief. We need to ask God to strengthen us in our temptation, in our time. And we need to ask God to help us not to succumb our will to his, his will should be coming first. It's man's, it's not man's ability. It's God's ability. That's, that's the point. He says he fed you in the wilderness with manna. Well, let me back up. Sorry. Um, he says, when your heart is lifted up and you forget that the Lord, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt for the house of bondage from the house of bondage, who led you through the great and terrible wilderness in which fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty land where there was no water, who brought water for you out of a flinty rock, who fed you in the wilderness with manna, which your fathers did not know that he might humble you, that he might test you to do good in the end. Do you believe that? Do you believe that he does these things to do good in the end? Do you believe that these things that happen are for your good? Even no matter how painful they are and no matter how much they don't make sense. Do you trust God? Do you trust his, his ways? Do you believe as the Proverbs teach his ways are far beyond our ways? His understanding is far beyond ours. Then you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gained me this wealth. You see, isn't that what happens too? When things start to go really well and our bank accounts are full and everything's going so great. Our health is good. We're, man, things are just awesome. And then we get so complacent and comfortable. And uh, somebody says, man, how'd you do that? I've been working really hard. Oh, 
so it was you. We never intend to start out that way. I, I don't know of anybody that really actually starts out that way, you know? Especially a Christian. I don't know anybody who's willingly started out that way. But that's what happens when we, we don't realize that God's plan and purpose for this is to do good in the end. Right? And we don't, we, we put God aside. And when we put God aside, well, there's no one around to give credit to but us at that point. Because we've pushed God so far out of the picture that the only one that's in frame is you and I. And then all of a sudden we commit the sin of idolatry by giving ourselves more glory. The Bible tells us we ought not to think more highly of ourselves than we, we should. The Bible warns us against that because it's pride. And to think that any one of us here somehow has the ability to um, be protected from that without intention of God. In other words, our own ability to manage our own pride. I'll tell you what, if that's you here, that's how Lucifer thought. Lucifer thought he could manage it. And then it overtook him because he wanted to be like the God most high. Do you understand how, how ridiculous that is? You want to talk about mental insanity? A created being thinking that he could be eternal. Thinking that he could be a God who was never created and always existed and always eternal. Actually believing that he could be that. That's mental insanity. It's no different than a hammer thinking it's a wrench and a wrench a hammer. Since when did the object decide the purpose? It's the author and the one that wields the tool decides the purpose for the tool. And again, that's a reverence issue. That's a heart issue again. Are we okay surrendering to God and allowing him to wield us as that useful object for his glory? If we do that, we'll never find a place where we're pushing God aside. No, he'll be right in the middle and all the glory will go to him. And it'll never, ever, you know, will never, ever touch the glory of God. It frightens me. Because as we read it, it's so seductive in the way it happens. And it's so subtle. That's the worst part of it. It's, you don't see it coming. You don't see it coming until you're swimming in it. And then it's too late. And you shall remember the Lord, your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth, that he may establish his covenant, which he swore to your fathers, as is this day. It's, we don't possess within ourselves the ability to do that. That it shall be, if you by any means forget the Lord your God and follow other gods and serve them and worship them, I testify against you or uh, this day that you shall surely perish. You see, when we don't let God receive the recognition and glory he's due, he's not, he's not insecure. God's not insecure. He does it also to protect us. Because he knows ultimately it will destroy us. And that's what we just read. Because he says, if you don't, 
If you forget God, if you put him aside and you follow these other gods that you make with your, your hands, whether it's the lust of your eyes, the lust of the flesh or the pride of life, or whether it's material objects or, or whether it's a person, a child or anything else in between that you've made an idol. When you begin to do that, and you start worshiping them. He says, I testify against you this day that that will lead to your destruction. You will perish. He, he's not mincing words. He's laying it down hot. You will die. It will consume you. Your sin will find you out. For a time and a season, it is sweet, but it bites and is bitter and it will destroy you. You, you, you know, you talk to someone that's a recovering alcoholic or you talk to a recovering addict and they'll tell you how in the moment sweet they thought it was. And then only later to tell you that they, it consumed their entire lives. They were stealing from their mother. They were stealing from their kids just to get high again. These are rational people under normal circumstances that because of such depravity of heart at that moment will succumb to do anything. I mean, women and men prostrating themselves, prostituting themselves like that just to get high again. It's real. They would tell you, they would sit there and they would beg you. They'd beg you not just to get into the addiction, but they would beg you to keep God in the forefront of your life. Because when you, as they've recovered and they've gone through, they said, you know, when did it go wrong? When did it go awry? When did you start to feel like no longer were you driving that train, but that train was driving over you when I got unbalanced? Well, what does that mean? Speak to me about what you mean when you say I got unbalanced. Well, I guess it's when I, I thought I could manage the situation. I thought I had that relationship with God and that he was the, the center of my life, but only to find out that it, it was a one-way relationship. He loved me and I loved him when it suited me. There was no lordship. It's a lordship issue. And it grieves our heart. You know what I mean? It grieves my heart. When I see the flock or I see brothers and sisters, you do a prism, it burdens your heart to see it because you know how destructive it is. But it's not just drugs. It can be money. I've seen it with money. I've, I've watched, I've watched people, no, pastor, it's not going to happen to me. 80 hours later, a week. How did you end up in this place where you're broken? Now you're divorced. Your wife doesn't know you. You're estranged. All these things have happened. And it's just, you, you, it's all torn apart. The house is being sold to the kids. They're living in one city for, for half the year. They're living in another city. The other half year, all, it's all a mess. How did it come to this point? I don't know. So, you, so what you're saying is you intentionally did not see it coming. No. I, I just... I thought I was doing the right thing. Were you in the Bible? Were you talking to Jesus? Well, I was in the beginning, but then I started running out of time. I didn't have enough time in the day. I was so busy. 
so busy. I, I just got so busy. I, I didn't have time. So I cut out the morning devotional. And then, and then I'd come home and my wife, you know, my wife or my husband, I didn't get to see them. So I'd put on the TV with them just so I spent 30 minutes with them. When's the last time you were even intimate as a married couple? Oh, pastor, it's been, it's been years. Years. Sin leads to the ultimate destruction. As the nations which the Lord destroys before you, so you shall perish. See, he also tells us why. Because you would not be obedient to the voice of the Lord your God. That's what was happening with those other nations. Remember those nations, the Amorites, the Canaanites, all the, the ites, right? All the ites we read about. It was because they weren't obedient and they wouldn't follow God. And God was long suffering. And now he's bringing judgment. And that's going to happen again pretty soon here. You know, God's, God's very long suffering, but there comes a point where his judgment has to be carried out because otherwise he's not a righteous judge. If he can let the punishable sins be unpunished, then he's not the righteous God that his word says he is, is he? Judgment has to come. That's what the wrath of the lamb is in Revelation chapter six. It's judgment. And so he's built on this. He's explained this to him. And now in chapter nine, he's going to go through it a little bit more matter of a fact. We're going to go through it a little faster pace here. Hang on. And the reason we're going to go through it a little faster, do you know why? Because he's recounting these things for the next generation. This is what's happened already. And if you're not careful, it can happen again. Hear, O Israel. He says this five different times in the book of Deuteronomy. Five different times. Hear, O Israel. Do you hear him? Hear, O children of God. Hear, O Israel. You are to cross over the Jordan today and go in to dispossess nations greater and mightier than yourself, cities great and fortified up to heaven, a people great and tall, the descendants of Anakim, the giants, whom you know of and of whom you heard it said, who can stand before the descendants of Anak? Therefore, understand today that the Lord your God is he who goes before you as a consuming fire. He will destroy them and bring them down before you. So you shall drive them out and destroy them quickly as the Lord has said to you. Do not think in your heart after the Lord your God has cast them out before you, saying, because of my righteousness, the Lord has brought me in to possess this land. In other words, because I'm such a good guy, a good gal, but it's because of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord is driving them out from before you. It is not because of your righteousness or the uprightness of your heart that you go in and possess their land, but because of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord your God drives them out from before you and that he may fulfill the word, which the Lord, that rhema, the word, right? When you see that, the raiment, right? Think about the rhema there, the, the word, which the Lord swore to you, your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It's because of the covenant God established. That's why. Has it changed in the new covenant? It's no different. We don't save ourselves. We don't draw ourselves to righteousness. God sees the righteousness of his son, Jesus Christ, that's imputed to you and I in us. It's the same thing today. He sees our, the righteousness we have is because he sees Christ's righteousness in us. It's the same. 
right? It was what? Faith was accounted them to, to righteousness, not because of the good. These, these Israelites, they were under the law. We're not under the law. They were under the law. They couldn't keep the law. Even then, it was faith that saved them. It was always faith. And it's what, fa- it's what saves us today. Your works cannot save you. It's faith alone in Jesus Christ. And God sees the righteousness of his son in us. Praise you, Lord. It is not because of your righteousness or uprightness, that means right living, of your heart that you go in and possess their land, but because of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord your God drives them out from before you and that he may fulfill the word which the Lord swore to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac. God's a promise keeper. Therefore, understand that the Lord your God is not giving you this good land to possess because of your righteousness, for you are a stiff-necked people. Just in case you weren't sure, Right. Uh, he, he looks at him. He says, oh, it's got nothing to do with you. It's because I promised your parents, 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 that I would honor this covenant. And because of that, you receive the mercy and grace of God. And that's the same thing he does in us. From the very foundations of the earth, he wanted to save us, to restore right relationship, to redeem us. And it's available to all that will call upon his name and believe And we need to understand it's never about us. Verse seven, remember, do not forget how you provoked the Lord, your God to wrath in the wilderness from the day that you departed from the land of Egypt until he, until you come to this place, you have been a, you have been rebellious against the Lord. Also in Horeb, you provoked the Lord to wrath. Remember that when he took in the golden calf, right? So that the Lord God was angry enough with you that he would have destroyed you. When I went up to the mountains to receive the tablets of stone, the tablets of the covenant of the Lord, which made you, then I stayed on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. I neither ate bread nor drank water. That's supernatural. Then the Lord delivered to me two tablets of stone written with the finger of God. Can you imagine what that looked like? God's handwriting written with the finger of God. And on them were the words which the Lord had spoken to you on the mountain from the midst of the fire in the day of the assembly. And it came to pass at the end of the 40 days and 40 nights that the Lord gave me the two tablets of stone, the tablets of the covenant. Then the Lord said to me, arise, go down quickly from here for your people whom you brought out of Egypt have acted corruptly. They have quickly turned aside from the way which I commanded them. They have made themselves a molded image. Furthermore, the Lord spoke to me saying, I have seen this people and indeed they are a stiff necked people. Let me alone that I may destroy them and blot out their name from under heaven. And I will make of you a nation mightier and greater than they. What do you think God was doing here? He was preparing Moses, the underservant, the under rower, the under shepherd. He was teaching Moses to have a heart for the people. Moses, Paul, The only two people recorded in scripture, Jesus did it. See, he's the one that truly did it. But they were the only two that recorded this is, you know, I would give up my own salvation if it meant my people could be saved or spared. I want you to think about that right now. Would you give up your salvation here right now? That the body of Christ here could be saved? Let me make it more personal. Would you give up your salvation right now? that your husband could be saved or your wife. Let me make it more personal. Would you give up your salvation that 
your children would be saved. Now, if you didn't answer yes to all those, what's the difference? I'll let you ponder that for a little while. Moses and Paul. Let me alone that I may destroy them and blot out their name from under heaven, and I will make you a nation mightier and greater than they. And by the way, just to be fair, I don't know that I could give up my salvation. I love you all. I'd die for you in a heartbeat. Every one of you is. I mean it with all my heart. I'd die for you in a heartbeat. But to give up my salvation? I don't know. I'd like to think I would. But I don't know. I guess God's on a lot of work to do in me. So I turned and came down from the mountain, and the mountain burned with fire, and the two tablets in the covenant were in my two hands. And I looked, and behold, you had sinned against the Lord your God, had made for yourselves a molded calf. You had turned aside quickly from the way which the Lord had commanded you. Then I took the two tablets and threw them out of my two hands and broke them before your eyes all at once. (laughs) And I fell down before the Lord as at the first 40 days and 40 nights. He's saying, hey, I did it again. I went right back up that mountain. I interceded for you people because you all, after all, you were stiff-necked, right? That's what was going on. And I was going to spare you. And he says, another 40 days, I didn't eat and I didn't drink. That's 80 days total, right? Because of all your sin, which you committed in doing wickedly in the sight of the Lord. What a pastor's heart. That's what a pastor looks like. What an under shepherd compared that to Zechariah. I can't remember Zechariah 13 or 11. It might be 11. You, you be Bereans where it says that in the last days, we're, we'll be out of here, but in the last days that it says that when things start getting tough and the oppression and affliction that the, the pastors are going to, they're going to basically run. They're going to flee and the people are going to just be left to themselves with no one to, to gird them or shepherd them in the ways of the Lord. Look at what is prophesied about the pastors that will be like that. I, I think they're already on the scene, if you ask me. But look, look, what's, look what's coming, right, compared to the model in Moses. Who is Moses a type for? A Jesus. The one that actually fulfilled this by going to Calvary to die for you and I, and, and our sins are forgiven, past, present, and future. Right, he, he's, you know, Moses had the idea, well, save him, I'll, you know, I'll give up my soul. He didn't, you know. Jesus took the sin, right, of, of all of humanity upon him. Never, ever had that experience. Never, ever separated from the Father. Just think about that for a minute. Why do you think he said, why have you forsaken me? He, he didn't know what that was, not to be in the presence of God, the Father, For I was afraid of the anger and in hot displeasure with which the Lord was angry with you to destroy you. But the Lord listened to me at that time also. Moses graduated from uh, under rower school. And the Lord was very angry with Aaron and would, would have destroyed him. So I prayed for Aaron also at that time. Then I took your sin, the calf, which you had made and burned it with fire and crushed it and ground it to very small until it was a fine dust. And I threw its dust into the brook that descended from the mountain. Also at 
Taraba or Teraba, Masa and Kirbroth. It's a good uh, Hata Ava. You should go back uh, if we had time. Go back and do a word study. Those names are really cool. What they mean. Go back and do a word study on each one of those. You provoke the Lord to wrath. Likewise, when the Lord sent you from Kadesh Barnea, saying, "Go up and possess the land." Now he's talking about when he sent the spies out, and only Caleb and Joshua came back uh, with a faithful witness, and and were obedient. Everybody else was disobedient, and therefore perished because of it. Then you rebelled against the commandment of the Lord your God, and you did not believe him nor obey his voice. You have been a rebellious against the Lord from the day that I knew you. Thus, I prostrated myself before the Lord 40 days and 40 nights. I kept prostrating myself because the Lord had said he would destroy you. Therefore, I prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord God, do not destroy your people and your inheritance whom you have redeemed through your greatness, whom you have brought out of Egypt with a mighty hand. Remember your servants, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Do not look on the stubbornness of this people or on their wickedness or their sin, lest the land from which you brought us should say, and what he's talking about here simply is, unless the other nations that are watching what's happening begin to say, some God you have, the God can deliver you from Egypt but he can't bring you into the land. In other words, God's hands slack. He says, for that reason alone, not just for the people, but for your name and your honor, God. Finish what you've started by bringing them into the land. That's what he's saying here. He says, remember your servants. Do not look on their stubbornness of the people and the wickedness of their sin, lest the land for which you brought us should say, because the Lord was not able to bring them to the land, which he promised them. And because he hated them, he has brought them out to kill them in the wilderness. Yet they are your people, your inheritance, whom you've brought out by your mighty power and by your outstretched arm. And what a great remembrance for you and I. God said something so powerful to you and I in the new covenant, under the new covenant. He says, I will finish the work that I began in each and every one of you. It's the same promise, that idea of finishing the work where we fall short, God's hand will never be slack. Do we believe it? We're living in a time where there's a Kanish Barnea in front of us, right? The rapture's so close. The promised land's right there. We could see it. We know it's coming. We can be discerners of the times. But are we living like that? Are we keeping God's commandments and statutes, the moral law? I mean, last I checked, he didn't, other than the, you know, the, the Shabbat on Saturday, I, I don't think anything else has been removed. I don't see anything else where God said it's okay to murder, it's okay to steal, it's okay to covet, it's, it's okay to commit adultery, you know, it's okay to not love God with your heart, mind, soul. I, I don't read that anywhere in my Bible. You know, here we are at midweek study. You know, this Sunday we have our, our baptism. I'm excited. People are going to come out. We got a number of people coming out. I hope you all are there for the baptism and then the time of fellowship and picnic afterwards. I really hope every one of you make it. This is your family. And as I begin to think about this, though, 
if Jesus came tonight, would we have any regrets? Would I have any regrets? Could I have spent time this week a little differently? Could I have been a little bit kinder to a brother or sister or to an unbeliever? Could I have showed more patience, kindness? Could I have demonstrated more of the fruit of the Spirit? There comes a point when we don't just hear or see or listen to the commandments and statutes. As we read in chapter 4 and as we read in chapter 8, we must begin to observe them. We must begin to obey them. They must become a way of life for us. That's my encouragement for all of us. He's refining the bride of Christ. I believe that's what he's doing today. I don't just think he's long-suffering and hitting the pause button, just, yes, so many can get saved. But with everything that I am, I believe he's refining the bride of Christ, not just here, but the bride of Christ. He's salting us. He's refining us. He's testing us. He's allowing us to see our hearts, that we would become holier, more pure, and more committed to Jesus. That's my desire. And I pray that's your desire here too. Let's stand and pray. Father, we come before you. Lord, I am thankful and so grateful, Lord. Again, for your word and again for these people, Lord your children that you've brought here. Lord, each and every one of them are so special. And Lord, I, I see a part of you in each and every one of the people that are here tonight. And together, Lord, I see more of your character and more of your presence and more of your love. Corporately, Lord, I, I know we are the body of Christ. God, I pray you continue to test us. That you would refine us, that you would remove those things, Lord, that displease you. And I pray, God, it would be a willingness on our part. That it would be counted all joy. God, I pray that we would look and smell and (laughs) just have more of you in us. Lord, we're going to be spending eternity with you, and I I certainly don't want to go through the motions, God. God, I pray for this church here, and I pray, God, that you would strengthen everybody here tonight. I pray you'd give them an extra, um, extra bit of sleep here as they get home. You, were, you would still them and revive them, Lord. They would wake up tomorrow morning feeling more refreshed than they have in a long time. And I pray, God, that you would protect everybody to get them home safely. And and our children that we hear upstairs, Lord, I pray they all get saved. Draw them very early, Jesus. And God, I just just pray your word keeps going forward through the mouths of your people. Lord, you tell us what's poured in can be poured out. Let us be your workmanship. Let us have your fingerprints. And let us walk in the Spirit. 
We know we can only do it. Thank you, God, that you have done it for us. Now we just need to believe. God, you deserve all the glory. We praise you here tonight. And we pray all this in your holy name, Jesus Christ. And the family of God says, amen. God bless you all and have a wonderful night. I love you.